So there's this song that I introduced my daughters to a few years back as preventative medicine. It's by Carrie Underwood. It's called Cowboy Casanova. And I'm not going to sing it for you today, although it's been in my head all week long. Uh, I'm just going to read the lyrics for you to the first verse and chorus. Um, and so you got to understand in this, in this song, this is a warning from a more experienced woman to a less experienced woman. Here's what she says. You better take it from me. That boy is like a disease. You're running and trying and trying to hide. You're wondering why you can't get free. He's like a curse. He's like a drug. You get addicted to his love. You want to get out, but he's holding you down because you can't live without one more touch. He's a good time cowboy Casanova leaning up against the record machine. He looks like a cool drink of water, but he's candy-coated misery. He's the devil in disguise, a snake with blue eyes, and he only comes out at night. Gives you feelings that you don't want to fight. You better run for your life. The song goes on for a few more verses, but that's enough to get the point. There are bad men out there that look good, and they will tell you what you want to hear, and they will make you think that you want what they're selling. But if you listen to them and you fall for their lies, they're going to ruin your life. There are these devils in disguise, these smooth talkers, the seductive players. They look good on the outside, but they're candy-coated misery. You better run for your life. This is a lesson that every father needs to impart into, uh, to, his, to their daughters. Uh, so I'm grateful that Carrie Underwood has done this service for me. Uh, but it's also a message that every pastor needs to instill in their congregations. Every church and every Christian needs to know that there are these devils in disguise out there. There are teachers and leaders who look good on the outside. Uh, they sound good. They make you feel good. They're very appealing. But you need to know that they are the devil in disguise. They are snakes with blue eyes. And when they give you those feelings that you don't want to fight, you better run for your life. That's the message that Paul was trying to impart to the Corinthian church as he finishes up 2 Corinthians. Open your Bibles if you've got them to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We find ourselves in the home stretch in our study through this book. And as Paul finishes the letter, he returns again, started this in chapter 10, he returns again to one of the key themes of this letter, Namely, that the Corinthians have no idea what a good pastor looks like. So they keep following these other leaders who are no good for them. And the reasons why these, these Corinthians keep following these other leaders is because uh, they're, they look good. Because their messages are appealing. They say things that they like. And the Corinthians, and we too, find it hard to believe that someone who looks so good, who sounds so good, who says things that seem so right could possibly be wrong. So to help us with this, God has given us 2 Corinthians 11. And as I read verses 1 through 15, I want you to listen for the warnings that Paul gives about these cowboy Casanovas, these devils in disguise that want to shipwreck our faith. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, 
Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super-apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. You see the warnings there, these cowboy Casanova warnings, these devils in disguise? They show up at the beginning and end of the passage. So first in verses 2 and 3, you see Paul taking on a fatherly role, and he says, For I feel divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, but I'm afraid... That as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So Paul's not worried that they're abandoning him for someone else so much as he's worried they're abandoning Christ for someone else. He sees himself in the father role, like he's got this, this daughter, this church, and he's, he found a good husband for her, Jesus. There's no better husband. He's, he's found the right guy for her, and he betrothed them. They, they're going to get married, right? That's a reference to when Jesus returns and, 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 and all things are consummated and we get to be with our Savior. So he says, I'm, I'm waiting for that day. I betrothed you to Jesus. You're, you're going to end up with him, and yet I'm worried that there's these other guys, these smooth talkers, like the serpent in the garden, and they're going to lead you away from Jesus. Got to watch out for these devils in disguise. And then at the end, in verses 13 and 14, he says, they are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. There's people out there, people who look good, who are actively disguising themselves to sound like Christians, to look like Christians but they're really servants of the devil. And it's not surprising that people do this because remember, when, when Satan works, when he shows up someplace, he doesn't show up in the red suit with the horns and the pitchfork. He disguises himself as an angel of light. And so too do his servants. So we have to have that as a frame of reference in our minds, that there are people, there really are people who look good, who use Christian-sounding words, who may even use the Bible, and yet are using it for nefarious purposes. They're devils in disguise. So what I want to do today is give you some tips to try to help you to recognize these devils in disguise, these cowboy Casanovas, who want to draw you away from Jesus. I want to focus on three areas that come from verse 4. 
So look at verse 4. He says, If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted. So we need to watch out for these three things, for those who would teach a different Jesus, for those who would teach a different spirit, and those who would teach a different gospel. Now, I'm going to go through these quickly. I'm not going to go in-depth in any of them, but if you've got more questions about any of these, hopefully this raises some questions, and you have some more uh, specific questions about particular, maybe particular teachers or particular doctrines or those sort of things. If you've got questions, do talk to me afterwards, or you can write down your questions on the green sheets, put them in the question box, and I'll follow up with that throughout the week. But I want to raise some ideas, give you some frameworks to think about who are these false teachers, what should we watch out for. First, watch out for a different Jesus. Just because someone says the name Jesus doesn't mean they're talking about the same Jesus that you're talking about. There are different Jesus. Now, of course, there's only one Jesus, right? There's only one real Jesus. But Paul says people are coming proclaiming another Jesus, which means they're, they're talking about someone completely different under the name of Jesus. So what are some examples of this? I'll give you an obvious one to start, then we'll go a little more complicated. So first, watch out for the Jesus of the cults. Watch out for the Jesus of the cults. From the very beginning of Christianity, there have been splinter groups that have broken off of Orthodox Christianity and created their own false doctrines and tried to pass themselves off as real Christianity. It's been happening from the very beginning. Now, the ones that you're most likely to encounter these days in our area are Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. You're most likely to encounter them because they're really good at knocking on doors. We can learn a thing or two from them. But they'll come to your house and they'll introduce themselves and they will say they want to talk to you about Jesus. And when you first hear that, your impulse may be to say, oh, I love Jesus too. Let's talk. Oh, you have a Bible study. Okay, let's have a Bible study. Because you think, well, you say Jesus, I said Jesus, we must be talking about the same Jesus. But you're not talking about the same Jesus. You're not. And with just a little bit of digging, you realize that. There's lots of stuff we can't get into, but, but in, in broad brushstrokes, the difference between the Jesus of the Bible and the Jesus believed by the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses is that they don't believe Jesus is fully God. They don't. And if you dig enough, they'll admit that. They believe that Jesus is a created being, the first created being, but a created being, created by God, but separate from God, which is different from what the Bible teaches. For example, in John 1, 1, it's a verse they don't like, they all try to change, but it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you read a little bit later in the chapter, and you see that the Word became flesh, so the Word is Jesus, right? So John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. It's different. Not the same Jesus that's promoted by the cults. So when they say Jesus, recognize it's a different Jesus. That one's pretty obvious. Um, in fact, they usually show up with name tags that tell you <laughs> where they're coming from. So you should be able to spot that when it comes. The other ones are more subtle. So you need to watch out for other Jesuses. There's one I'm calling Nice Guy Jesus. It's the second one. Watch out for Nice Guy Jesus. People who follow Nice Guy Jesus have the core belief that Jesus is simply a nice guy and that Christianity is all about being nice guys too. So you'll hear this Jesus 
mentioned on some of the more popular uh, TV preacher shows, or if Oprah would ever have somebody on to talk about Jesus, they're going to talk about nice guy Jesus. This is the Jesus who, who loves the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Uh, the fans of nice guy Jesus also really like the time when he says, judge not. Nice guy Jesus is inclusive. He would never send anyone to hell because that wouldn't be very nice. He's just around to encourage you and to remind you of the importance of being nice to one another. And while there is some truth to that, it's what's left out that's important. See, Jesus is certainly loving, which is different from being nice, but he's loving and he's never cruel, but he is sometimes radically offensive. And he says things that the world would call narrow-minded. You know, right after the famous golden rule in Matthew 7, Jesus says this in the very next verse. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. See, the real Jesus, the real biblical Jesus, believes in heaven and hell. And he taught that the road to eternal life was narrow, that many were headed to destruction. That's not very nice. That sound a little judgy. So those that follow nice guy Jesus would ignore that verse and all the hundreds that talk about similar things because they just wanted Jesus who is nice. So watch out. Watch out for nice guy Jesus. And watch out for the more extreme example of nice guy Jesus, which is the moral example Jesus moral example Jesus. The followers of moral example Jesus take the commands of Jesus more seriously than nice guy Jesus followers do. So the nice guy ones just sim, skim the surface, they just be nice. Moral example ones are actually concerned about what Jesus did and what he taught, and they say, we should try to be like him. We should try to follow Jesus and imitate him and follow his example. Sometimes these people call themselves red-letter Christians. Many of you know that in, in lots of Bibles, there's a special formatting thing where the words of Jesus are in red. And so a red-letter Christian would say, well, I think that what Jesus says is the most important. And so I want to take those words the most seriously. I want to follow what he teaches. I want to do what he says. We want to follow his moral example. And so they would say, look, Jesus taught nonviolence, and so we want to be nonviolent. Jesus brought justice for those who were oppressed, so we should bring justice for the oppressed. Jesus cared for the poor. We should care for the poor. All of which are wonderful things. It's all good, and it's true. He did teach those things. We should do those things. The problem is what they leave out. Because moral example Jesus is different from the real Jesus in that he's only a moral example. He's only an example. That's all he came for. He came to do it, to teach it, and to leave it for us to follow. But real Jesus, biblical Jesus, is a moral example and a substitute. He's an example and a substitute. He didn't just come to show us how to live. He came to live in our place and to die in our place, to pay for all the times when we haven't lived up to his example, when we didn't love our neighbors as ourselves. We deserve to die for that. Jesus showed us what you do, and then he died in our place to pay for that sin. Jesus said in Luke 19.10 that his mission was to seek and to save the lost. Not just to be an example, not just to show us how to live, but to save the lost. That's why it's dangerous to just be a red-letter Christian, because then you tend to think, well, 
What about those black letters? Those are inspired too, you know. Jesus didn't come just to, to teach and to show us what to do. The Gospels, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're not just these short collections of witty sayings by Jesus of what you should do. Every single one of them is a story of how he lived and died and rose from the dead for you and for me. Because Jesus came not just as an example, but as a substitute. So watch out for anyone who says he's just an example. But also, watch out for the reaction against that, which is the no-commitment Jesus. The no-commitment Jesus. No-commitment Jesus comes as a reaction to moral example Jesus. And the error is the exact opposite. So the moral example Jesus came just to show you how to live. No commitment Jesus came just to die for your sins. So no commitment Jesus doesn't care about how you live. He doesn't care if you have any intention of actually following him. No commitment Jesus just wants to give you eternal life. And if you just pray a simple prayer to receive him, he will never bother you again. You can live however you want. And when you die, you go to heaven. That's an error. Now, it's an air that's especially prevalent within our tradition of evangelicalism. So we need to be especially wary against it. But it's an air. Now, it's true. It is gloriously, wonderfully true that the gospel says that salvation is by free grace. It's free grace. It's completely free. So all you have to do, Jesus did it all. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. All you have to do is accept that free gift and you are saved. Right? That's all you have to do. But it's also true that that gift, that free gift, is a life-changing gift. It's a radically life-changing gift. There's different kinds of free gifts you can receive, right? Uh, you've got a free t-shirt. Um, you, you get a free t-shirt. Uh, that doesn't change your life, probably, unless it's a really good t-shirt. But you get a free t-shirt. What do you do? You, you just you know, throw it in the closet with 50 other t-shirts. Maybe you wear it, maybe you don't. It doesn't have any effect on your life. It's a free gift. You've received it, but it matters nothing to you. It's very different from the free gift of getting married. All right? When you get married and you're standing up here with your spouse, your prospective spouse, you know, I, I hope you didn't pay for that. Right? You didn't buy your spouse. You didn't you know, earn them. But no, it's a free gift. They are freely giving themselves to you. They are giving you their life, their heart, their everything. What do you do with that? You give yourself right back. When they freely give themselves to you, you freely give yourself to them. When they give everything to you, you give everything to them. You didn't earn it, you didn't merit it, but you respond with total commitment. And that's what it is to receive the free gift of salvation. It's totally free. You didn't earn it, you didn't buy it, you can't ever merit it. But, but God gives it to you freely, but in offering himself completely to you, God expects you to offer yourself completely to him. Total commitment. why the real Jesus says in Mark 8, 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Following the real Jesus isn't just praying a prayer and getting your get out of hell free card. Following Jesus is like getting married where you surrender the rights to your life completely to him, wholly to him, you submit to him as your Lord. It means accepting him as your substitute, but then also going back to his teaching and saying, I want to learn from you, I want to imitate you, I want to live like you, help me to do it. 
The real Jesus wants followers who surrender their whole lives to him. Anybody who teaches differently is preaching a different Jesus. Now, we give lots more examples of this. We could go on for a long time, but, but I think that's enough to give us the picture to recognize this danger is out there. Now, how do we protect against it? And hopefully, the stuff we've just talked about helps you to recognize some of these Jesus, but how do you protect yourself against all the many different manifestations of Jesus that people might throw at you? I think the simplest answer is get to know the real one. We have been given a great gift in Scripture to have not just one, but four life stories of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them. Read them with someone else. Talk about them with other people. Study them. Get to know the real Jesus. And the more time you spend in these pages, the less susceptible you will be to people cherry-picking particular elements of his teaching and saying, this is the real Jesus. He would say, no, 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 but Jesus also said this. No, Jesus also did that. As an aside, this is also a wonderful way to share your faith with someone else. To sit down with them and over time read through one of the Gospels. Because you know what? Lots of people in our country think they've heard of Jesus. But many of them have heard of a different Jesus. Many people who are unbelievers are unbelievers in a different Jesus, meaning they've heard a different Jesus and they thought, well, I don't want that. Well, of course you don't. He's not the real one. But if you take time to sit down with them and read through one of the Gospels, I like to do Mark because it's short, just read through it. They'll encounter the real Jesus. And when you meet the real Jesus, you cannot help but love him. He's perfect. So I recommend that to you. If you, if, you, if you find someone, if you've got someone in your life that, that maybe they've had an experience, a bad experience with church or a different, different thing that's put them off on faith or religion, just invite them. Have you ever read the life of Jesus? Before you disbelieve in somebody, maybe you should make sure you really know who they are. Would you like to read through the Gospel of Mark with me? It's wonderful, very effective. So that's one, Jesus. That's one, one uh, danger, is the, the different Jesuses. But Paul also warns that the same thing can happen with the Holy Spirit. We'll only do two on this one. But he says in verse 4, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received. So it's possible to get Jesus right, but to go off the rails with the Holy Spirit. And so we need to watch out for our understandings of the Holy Spirit just as much as we do with Jesus when we talk about the Spirit, are we talking about the Spirit of the Bible, the real Holy Spirit of God? I'll again start with an easy one, but prevalent. Watch out for the Spirit of the con men. Watch out for the Spirit of the con men. There are con men and con women who use the Holy Spirit as a means to make money. People like Benny Hen. You may have seen on TV. He's not really that big here, but he's shockingly popular in the third world. And people think he is a legitimate follower of Jesus. They think that he has power to heal. He's this charismatic guy who goes around the world and he sets up these crusades and he gets people to come and he promises healing and he promises health and prosperity. And, and, and if they just come on up and they give him money, then they'll be blessed. And he has some people come on the stage and he'll He'll get them all excited and they'll touch them on the head and they'll fall over. Or he'll hit them with a suit coat and they'll fall over and they'll lay on the ground and they'll quiver and shake and, and people get really excited, really ecstatic and it feels like something's going on. And he'll claim that it is the work of the Holy Spirit. 
You have been slain in the Spirit. No. It's manipulation. It's showmanship. It's sleight of hand. He is not Spirit-filled. He is a con man. And there are people like him, some other ones on the world stage, some more locally around. You need to watch out. If someone is using the Holy Spirit as a prop in a stage show, it is not the real Holy Spirit. Just because they say the Spirit, just because people seem to be having ecstatic experiences does not make it the Spirit of God. I hope that's obvious. But there are also more subtle dangers in the same vein. So the second group to watch out for, in addition to the con men, is watch out for those who promote the flashy spirit. The flashy spirit. So Scripture teaches that when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you receive gifts. This is a wonderful teaching. That every person who becomes a Christian gets a gift from the Holy Spirit. And there's various lists that you can find in different passages that talk about these gifts. There's things like teaching and administration, uh, mercy, generosity, faith, service. These are all gifts of the Spirit. Uh, Those are more the mundane gifts. Then there's also the flashy gifts. Things like speaking in tongues, prophesying, healing. Some people, some godly, uh, very smart biblical scholars are convinced that those flashy gifts, like speaking in tongues and prophecy and healing, some are convinced that those have ceased, that those only existed during the first century, during the apostolic age, and that they're not in force anymore. Um, I don't want to get in a fight about that, but I'm not convinced biblically that that's true. So I'm not ready to just go ahead and say all those things are evil or every charismatic's a liar. But... I will say that there are some people who focus too much on the flashy gifts. And in doing so, they end up with a different spirit than the Holy Spirit. It's not a new problem. In fact, this was the problem in the Corinthian church. The Corinthians loved the Holy Spirit. If you had to put the Corinthians in a denomination today, they'd be charismatic. And they'd be crazy charismatic. Because they love the flashy gifts. So you read in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 14, you find out all about this as Paul tries to correct their abuses. It seems like their worship services were full of people just speaking in tongues randomly, people prophesying. It was a mess. And then those that had those gifts began to form factions and look down on the less spiritual people who had the mundane gifts. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes this beautiful metaphor of the body of Christ. He says, we're all different body parts. We've all been given different gifts. No one is more important than another. No one's less important than another. We need all the gifts. He's trying to address the factions that have developed about those who elevate the flashy gifts. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he gives some really practical instructions about how you should limit the amount of people that speak in tongues in your service. Make sure there's an interpreter. Don't prophesy so much because we want things to be in order. So 1 Corinthians 12, you've got these instructions uh, about how every gift matters. 1 Corinthians 14, about how you really should calm down with the flashy gifts. What's in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14? 1 Corinthians 13, very good, yes. And 1 Corinthians 13 is the great love chapter, right, that I always read at weddings. You know why it's in there? It's because the Corinthians were valuing the gifts over love. What's the first line of 1 Corinthians 13? If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am nothing. What's he saying? He's saying you guys have missed the point. The point of the Christian life is not the exercise of the flashy gifts. 
The point of the Christian life is love. And if you have all of these flashy experiences, but you don't have love, you're nothing, which means the spirit you think you have is not the Holy Spirit. Another way to put that is to say that the fruit of the Spirit is more important than the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is more important than the gifts of the Spirit. Galatians 5 gives us this wonderful image of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, if you're walking by the Spirit and the Spirit is in you, he will produce fruit, fruit like love and joy and peace and patience and all these wonderful Christ-like characteristics. So the Spirit, if, the, if you really have the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen is you will become more like Jesus. That's how you can tell you have the Holy Spirit. The primary role of the Spirit is to make you like Christ, not to give you flashy, impressive, showy gifts. So, if you find yourself in an environment where there are a lot of flashy, showy things going on, and people are attributing it to the Spirit... It may be that that is true. It may be that that is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? But it may not be. How do you tell? You tell by looking for fruit. If it's the real Holy Spirit, there's going to be more than just gifts. There's going to be more than this, the flashy, showy, impressive gifts. There's going to be more than just ecstatic experiences. If it's the real Holy Spirit of God, if the Spirit is really moving, then there will be fruit. People will be experiencing Christ-likeness and life transformation and love. If the use of the gifts is only bringing division and pride and a focus on experience, then that's not the real Holy Spirit. Because the real Holy Spirit brings love. The real Holy Spirit brings Christ-likeness and repentance over sin and victory over sin. And a, and, a, and a group of people who are bonded together in sacrificial service for one another. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So if you don't see that, it's not the Holy Spirit. But when you do, you know you found the real one. So look for the fruit more than the flash. And then third, the third thing to watch out for is a different gospel. So in verse 4, he says, watch out for a different Jesus, watch out for a different spirit, and then watch out for a different gospel. So first of all, if you accept a different Jesus or a different spirit, you found yourself with a different gospel. So part of watching out for the real gospel is making sure you see the real Jesus and the real spirit. But I'll give you another rule of thumb that helps you spot false gospels, and it's this. Avoid man-centered gospels. That's how you tell. Avoid man-centered gospels. We want a God-centered gospel. That's the real gospel. All these false gospels are man-centered. What do I mean by that? Well, it, it's, it's basically where you think that God is like the genie in Aladdin's lamp, that God exists for you. And the good news of the gospel is you found the magic lamp, and now you can rub it whenever you want, and you've got God on your side to give you what you really want. It's not that you got God, but it's that you got God to help you get the thing that's most important in your life. So there's lots of versions. We've talked about the prosperity gospel before where God exists to make you wealthy and healthy and, and, and so he helps you with that. You've got the therapeutic gospel where God exists to give you happiness and heal you from all your emotional problems. 
You've got the marriage and family gospel where God exists to make sure your marriage stays together and your kids turn out okay. Common thread and all those things, and there's so many permutations. It's that God exists. He's not, he's not the thing. He's the thing that gets you the thing. Right? It's not that you've got God. It's that now I've got God to get me what I really want, a good marriage, a successful career, um, healing from this disease. That's not the real gospel. The real gospel is not man-centered. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not that you've got God to be your genie or your butler to get you what you really want. The good news of the gospel is that you get God. Period. Not that you get God to get you stuff, but that you get God. That's the good news of the real gospel. We study this in depth in 2 Corinthians 5. Just turn back there to read a couple verses. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. As Paul is explaining the gospel, he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The key word there? Reconciliation, right? The gospel is about reconciliation, namely that God, we were estranged from God, we were separated from Him because of our sin, and through Jesus, we've been reconciled to God, no longer counting our sins against us, but we get Him again. We were created for a relationship with God, we were separated because of our sin, and now through Jesus, we can be united again. That's the gospel. Not that we get God to do stuff for us, but that we get Him back. As an illustration of this, um, this last week, Jen and the girls were on vacation with, their parents, with her parents for five days, so they were gone. They got back yesterday. And when they got back, it was good news. It was good news. My wife was back. Now, was it good news because my wife was back and now she could make me dinner again? <laughs> or was it good news that she was back because she was back? Now, she does, now she's, she's going to make me dinner again. She's, she's, that, that, that flows out of that. I see that look. Right? But that's not why it's good news. That's not why it's wonderful. Right? The good news is reconciliation, being back together. And that's what it is with God. Right? When, when, when you believe the real gospel, yes, all sorts of other things flow out of it. Yes, God does bring deep satisfaction to your soul. And he does, you know, walking with him and following him does generally bring better success at work and stronger families. And all sorts of things are positive benefits of having God in your life. But the point of the gospel is that you get God in your life. That you're back with him, you're restored, that relationship is renewed. And so the real gospel is uh, recognizable from the false gospels because the real gospel, the point is always God. False gospels, the point is always that God gets you something else. Anybody who preaches a gospel where God is not the center is preaching a different gospel. So watch out. There really are people out there who are trying to seduce you away from Jesus. And it's not obvious. They are not carrying pitchforks. They are not dressed in red suits. They are not clearly evil. In fact, they work hard to look good. So exercise discernment. And when you spot one, 
Remember the words of Carrie Underwood. He's a good time, Cowboy Casanova. Leaning up against the record machine, he looks like a cool drink of water, but he's candy-coated misery. He's the devil in disguise, a snake with blue eyes, and he only comes out with ni- at night. Gives you feelings that you don't want to fight. You better run for your life. Let's pray. Father, thanks for these warnings. Thank you for uh, just giving us the heads up that not everybody who says Jesus is good for us. Not everybody who talks about the Spirit has the real Holy Spirit. Not everybody who claims to have good news has the good news. Help us to see those errors, to stay true to your truth, to understand the gospel, believe it, and share the true gospel with others. In Jesus' name, amen.